0: Last week we said today we would get straight into the first hadith of the Arba'in nawawiya nawawiyyah insha'Allah ta'ala So I'll ask Sheikh Sulaiman to read the hadith the first hadith in the and nawawiya Sheikh Sulaiman Woman can it woman can at you do boha Don't worry, I'm not asking everyone. I see way the way people are looking at me. <laughs> uh, I just need one person to read, Inshallah. The rest of you, I'll ask you next week, Inshallah. I think by next week it should be, it should be firm in your in your hearts, Inshallah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I yeah, I can know. see, I, I can he's see he the way look he's looking out. at me. <laughs> <laughs> so he says, "عن أمير المؤمنين أبي عمر بن الخطاب رضي الله عنه قال." سمعت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يقول انما الاعمال بالنيات وانما لكل ما نوى فمن كانت هجرته الى الله ورسوله فهجرته الى الله ورسوله ومن كانت هجرته لدنيا يصيبها او امراة فهجرته الى ما هاجر اليه This hadith is narrated by the commander of the believers, or the leader of the believers, Abi Hafs. I said last time, Umar ibn al-Khattab, is called Abu Hafs. Abu Hafs, Abu something, is called Kunya in Arabic, where you call someone by the name of their child. If you have a child called Muhammad, we call you Abu Muhammad. If you have a child called Yusuf, we call you Abu Yusuf. However, what is surprising is that Umar ibn al-Khattab, the second Khalifa of Islam, Anhu, did not have a child called Hafs. But he was called Abu Hafs. And this is very common. Some people may not have a child called by a particular name and they'll be given a kunya of a child they do not have. I gave examples. Can you give us an example of someone who was called by a kunya of a child that he never had, Sheikh Hassan, Abu Bakr, Abu Bakr, the father of Bakr. But did he have a son called Bakr? No, he didn't. Anyone else with a kunya of a child that he never had? Abu Zakaria, Abu Zakaria is Imam nawawi the author of this book. He was called Abu Zakaria, and yet he didn't have a child called Zakaria. And I mentioned last time that actually he never got married. Rahimahullah. We also have, um, who else? Ekunia, sorry. Yeah, Abu Huraira. Abu Huraira didn't have uh, a child called Huraira. Did he have a child called Huraira? He didn't. So uh, Abu Hafs, Umar ibn al-Khattab was called Abu Hafs not because he had a son called Hafs, but he had a daughter called Hafsa. He had a daughter called Hafsa and this kunya is not because of the daughter. He was simply called Abu Hafs. Umar ibn al-Khattab anhu, قال, he said, he said, I heard the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam saying, Innamal A'amalu Bin Actions are judged or actions are rewarded according to intentions. I remember telling you that this hadith is a third of ilm according to Imam Shafi'i Rahimahullah. He said the whole ilm of Islam goes back to three hadiths. Rasulullah sallallahu has spoken many ahadith, in fact hundreds of thousands of ahadith, but all these ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam can be summarized in three important hadiths of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, which seem to hold our deen. Our religion is based on those three ahadith. And this hadith is one of those three hadiths. In other words, if Rasulullah did not speak any hadiths and he spoke only three hadiths, these three hadiths would have been sufficient as the foundations of our religion. Rasulullah was given by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the ability to express things in very short sentences. And yet the sentence would have massive, massive meaning. One sentence which carries a lot of meaning. So, if religion can be summarized in three ahadith, and this hadith, "Innamal a'malu bin Niyat," is one of those three ahadith on which our religion is founded, then this hadith qualifies to be a third of all knowledge in Islam. When a person understands the meaning of this hadith. But before I go into the details of the hadith, I would like to ask you which three hadith are considered the basic foundation of knowledge in Islam. Of course, Imam Shafi'i said uh, there are three hadiths. Some scholars said there are four hadiths. Others said we can summarize them into two hadiths. So if we say there are four hadiths which are the foundation of our religion, and this hadith is one of them, then this hadith would be a quarter of ilm. If we say there are two hadiths which are the foundation of our religion, and this hadith is one of them, then this hadith would be half of ilm. If we say there are three hadiths which are the foundation of our religion, and this hadith is one of them, then this hadith would be ثُلُثُ ilmi a third of him. These hadiths, the three hadiths, are all found in the Aruba'ina and Nawawiya, the 40 hadiths of an nawawi Number one is this hadith. al Number one. Innama al This is the first hadith. The second hadith, the hadith narrated by Aisha, Of course, our first hadith is narrated by Umar bin Khattab, The second hadith, which is one of the foundations of our religion, is based on the hadith of Aisha, Anha, in which she said, "Rasulullah said, 'من أحدث في أمرنا هذا ما ليس منه فهو رد. Anyone who introduces in this matter of ours or anyone who introduces in this religion of ours something which does not belong here, it will be rejected. This hadith means anything new you introduce in Islam which is not a part of our religion, something which was not taught by our messenger Muhammad ﷺ, it will be rejected, no matter how beautiful it looks. Because the religion was completed with Today have I perfected your religion and completed my favor on you And chosen Islam to be your religion So if after that someone is going to introduce something new in our religion Something which is not a part of this religion It will be rejected this hadith is a foundation of our din. If you understand the meaning of the hadith innamal a'malu and the explanation of this hadith is going to come also in the Arba'in Nawawiyyah, this is only the beginning. You understand the meaning of the hadith man ahtafa fi amrina hadha ma laysa minhu fa huwa bat. Rawahu al-Bukhari wa Muslim, wa fi riwayat li Muslim man amila amalan laysa alayhi amruna fa huwa Whoever is going to do anything that we haven't commanded, something we didn't command them to do, Rasulullah commanded us to do certain things. But if you're going to do certain things the Messenger ﷺ did not command, and consider them a part of our religion, fakwa rad, do not be accepted. That is rejected. So the litmus paper for, or rather, the acid test. For anything in Islam is, are we commanded to do it? If we're not commanded to do it, then It can't be accepted. Any ibadah, no matter how beautiful. This is beautiful ibadah. You see, we praise Allah and we just say nice things about Rasulullah. the question is, are we commanded to do that? If we're not commanded, then it can't be accepted. The third hadith is the hadith of an numan ibn Bashir, narrated by an numan ibn Bashir, anhu, in which he says, innal halal halal is clear Wa innal haram, haram is clear la And there are certain things in the middle about which people are not sure. People don't know them. Halal is clear and haram is clear and there are certain things which are doubtful fa man istaqash shubuhat is li dinihi wa iradihi wa man waqa'a fi shubuhati wa harami kal ra'i yara'a hawlan ima yushku an yartaa fi ala inna li kulli malikin hima ala wa inna hima allahi maharimo ala wa inna al jasada mudda idha salahat salal al jasadu kulluhu wa idha fasadat fasada al jasadu kulluhu ala wa hi al qalalam isriya and haram is clear, stay away from the things which are not clear. That's the foundation of religion. So these three hadiths are the foundation of our religion. The first hadith, Mamadu. Innamal a'malu bin Innamal a'malu bin The second hadith, Sheikh Sulaiman. The hadith of Aisha. The hadith of Aisha. Mm. Whoever introduces in this matter of ours something which is outside it, فَهُوَا It will not be accepted, it is rejected. And the third asl, the third foundation of our religion, the hadith of al-Nu'man bin Bashir, in which he says, إِنَّ الْحَلَالَ بيم. حَلَالَ وَإِنَّ الْحَرَامَ بيم. So if these three are hadith, the hadith of Aisha, the Hadith of Aisha, the Hadith of al numan Ibn Bashir, if these three are the foundations of our religion, then we say this hadith Inam al Amalu bin Niyat is therefore one third of In. Some scholars added this hadith. إن أحدكم يجمع خلقه في بطن أمه أربعين يوما، ثم يكون علقة مثل ذلك ثم يكون مفقة مثل ذلك ثم يرسل إليه الملك فينفق فيه الروح فيؤمر بأربع كلمات بكتب رزقه وأجله وعمله وشقي أو سعيد فوالذي لا إله غيره إن أحدكم لا يعمل بعمل اهل النار حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها الا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل اهل الجنة فيدخلها وان احدكم لا يعمل بعمل اهل الجنة حتى ما يكون بينه وبينها الا ذراع فيسبق عليه الكتاب فيعمل بعمل اهل النار فيدخلها this hadith is also a foundation of our religion. So if we include it as the fourth hadith, then our hadith innamal amalu would be a quarter of ilm. What is the meaning of the hadith, the uh, fourth hadith? Allah subhanahu wa taala begins the creation of anyone as inna uh, uh, bringing the creation together. Alba'inayama, forty days. Thumma then he becomes علقة, a clot. Misla after 40 days, then he becomes mudda, like a piece of chewed meat, 40 days, 40 days. Then after that, Allah sends an angel, and then the angel writes for him. Firstly, he blows life into him, and then he records, firstly, his, uh, his risk, and his risk, then his what? His no, no. His ajal, the period of time he's going to live. Then his, his amal, his work. And then, shakiyun amsa'i. In short, this hadith is a hadith that talks about qadr. Allah has written everything. So that's the foundation of Deen, definitely. So if you look at these four hadiths, there's very little about Deen that these four hadiths have been covered. They've covered Niya. They've, uh, 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 covered they've covered bid'ah. They've covered Halal and Haram, um, and staying away from the things about which you're not sure. And they've covered Qadr. But it's Deen. So if you know this for a hadith, you know them by heart, you're an alim, mashallah. You can explain the usul of Deen, the, the foundations of Deen. That's why this hadith is called ilm It's a third of ilm So Rasulullah said, Innamalla niyati. Works are judged by their intentions. Intention will be divided into two. I want us to talk about these two things separately. Intention according to I'tiqad, belief, and then we'll talk about intention according to fiqh, Islamic jurisprudence. Because niya in aqeedah, in our belief, in our i'tiqad, means something. And in fiqh, it means something else. When the people of Islamic jurisprudence or sharia say niya, what they mean is not what the people of uh, tawheed mean, aqeedah. That's not what they mean when they say Niyah, they mean something else. In our belief, I'll start with I'tiquad, in Tawheed, monotheism. When we say Niyah, we are considering why you are doing what you are doing. That is the meaning of Niyah in in monotheism. In monotheism, Niyah is why are you doing what you are doing? For example, salah, you are praying. Why are you praying? That is the meaning of niyyah in i'tiqad. Are you praying for Allah or are you praying for something else? If you're praying for Allah, alhamdulillah. If you're praying for something else, we say, then you can't be rewarded for it. Allah cannot reward you for for your salah. So this niyyah, enters every act of Islam. Every aspect of our lives. Salah is according to Niyah. If a person uh, uh, prays for the sake of Allah, they will be rewarded. If it's not for the sake of Allah, they will not be rewarded. If a person gives zakat for the sake of Allah, he will be rewarded. If it's not for the sake of Allah, he will not be rewarded. If a person First, for the sake of Allah, he should be rewarded by Allah If it's for other purposes, he should not be rewarded If a person performs hajj for Allah, he should be rewarded If he performs for self-esteem so that people say uh, he's al hajj He went for, for, for hajj and so that the society can respect him He will not be rewarded by Allah So in i'tiquat, we consider the qasb what do you want from your work? In fiqh, Islamic jurisprudence, it's different. In Islamic jurisprudence, niya simply means, what are you doing? I said in it, it means, why are you doing what you are doing? That's in aqeedah, in tawhid in monotheism. But in fiqh, it means, what are you doing? For example, if you stand up, to perform salah, niya in fiqh would mean, what salah are you praying? That is the meaning of niya in, in fiqh. So in fiqh, niya distinguishes between one ibadah and another. For example, salatul asr, how do you pray, asr? For rakat. For rakat. Loudly or silently? silently? Silently. And how do you pray? Four rakats, Loudly or silently? Yeah. Silently. So, what's the difference? Yeah. Niyya. The only difference is what? The niya, the intention. Otherwise, Dhuhr and asr are exactly the same. The only thing that distinguishes between Dhuhr and asr is the niya. When you come into the masjid, at the time of Salatul Asr, and you miss Salat al-Duhr. Asr is four hours, and Dhuhr is four hours. And you start praying. How do we know what what you're praying? Whether it's Dhuhr or Asr? They're exactly the same. What's the distinguishing factor? Yeah. The yeah, What What you know inside? That's the only thing that distinguishes one ibadah from another. True or false? Salat al-Fajr. Someone comes in the masjid. Maybe he comes in shortly after uh, the Salat al-Fajr has come to an end. And then he stands and prays two rakats. We don't know what two rakat is praying. It could be the Fajr itself, or it could be the Nafila before Salat al-Fajr. What is the distinguishing factor? The Niyah. So in Fiqh, Niyah is what distinguishes between one act and another and in fiqh also Nia distinguishes between ibadah and ada ibadah means an act of worship ada means something that we do in our daily lives some adat some things that we do in our daily lives look exactly like the ibadah the way you do it in daily life is exactly the way you would do it in worship. Who can give us an example of that? Meeting what? Uh, there's, there's meeting your wife of ibada and uh, uh, of ada. I thought you said when you have. No, no, no. There are certain things. Oh, okay. no, no, there, there are certain things. There are certain things that we do, which could either be ada or they could be Ibadah. If you find me, if you find me in the shower, for example, you find me in the shower. How do you know whether I'm, I'm just taking a shower because I feel hot or I'm, uh, uh, I'm bathing because of Janaba? How, how are you going to know? They look the same. What is the distinguishing factor? The distinguishing factor is my knee. That's so. all. The one who has Janaba goes under the shower in the same way that a person who feels hot also goes under the, sh- the shower. So it's the niyyah that distinguishes ibadah from Ada. It depends on the niyyah. If I decide to leave at uh, 20 hours or 20-30 hours in order to go to bed. Why? Because I want to wake up early. I want to wake up for qiyamun late. And I want to read Quran at night. I stand up and go to the bedroom to sleep. At 20-30 hours. Someone else also goes to sleep at 20, 30 hours. But for them, the reason is that they are feeling very tired. If you see us, both of us going to sleep, what is the difference? There's no difference. Is there a special walk for those who who intend Ibadah and and a different walk for, for, for those who are going to sleep because they're tired? We all go to bed in the same manner. We sleep in the same manner. But this one is getting a reward for sleeping. This one is getting nothing for sleeping. What is the distinguishing factor? This is ribada. This is not ribada. How is this ribada? This is ribada because this one has gone to sleep because he is preparing to wake up early in the morning or to wake up at night in order to perform tahajjud. This one is going to sleep because he is tired. But the sleeping is the same. What is the distinguishing factor? The distinguishing factor is the Niyah, that is what has distinguished them. Otherwise, the way we sleep is the same. So once you understand this hadith, you will understand a lot in, in Islam. By understanding the hadith in niyat," you understand so much in Islam. and every person will be rewarded or will be given what they intended. If you intend something good, you will get something good. If your intention is something bad, you will get something bad. This is just an example. The hijrah is an example. What is hijrah? Hijrah is migration to migrate from a land where there is no Islam to a land where there is Islam. Or it might be migration from a land where there is no security to a land of security. For example, the first Hijrah, the first migration of the Messenger the companions of the Messenger migrated from Makkah to Habasha. Is it because there was Islam in Habasha, in Abyssinia, in Ethiopia? They left Mecca and went to Ethiopia. There is no Islam in Ethiopia at that particular time, but they migrated from a land of no security to a land where there is security. This is considered Hijrah. <coughs> the second Hijrah from Makkah to Medina was Hijrah from a land where there is no Islam to a land where there is Islam. And Hijrah remains compulsory until the Day of Judgment. Hijrah from Mecca to Medina ended with the Fatah. When Mecca was conquered, that was the end of the hijrah. There was no need for anyone to migrate from Mecca to Medina anymore. Because Mecca also became a land of Islam. But hijrah in general, movement from a land where there is no Islam to a land of Islam remains until the day of judgment. <coughs> Rasulullah said. Hijra will not come to an end until tauba comes to an end. Hijra migration will not end until tauba comes to an end. And tauba will not end until the sun rises from the west. The day the sun is going to rise from the west going to the east that will be the end of tauba and it should be the end of hijra. So Hijrah up to this day remains. A person should seek to migrate from a land where he feels his Islam is not secure to a land where he feels he is free to practice Islam. Today the Muslims have neglected this and they are busy doing the opposite. Migrating from a land where he's able to freely practice Islam to a land where he will be restricted. In countries like ours, alhamdulillah, uh, it's not an Islamic country, but the uh, things are not as bad as they are in Europe and the, the United States. When you go to Europe, you go to the United States, it's very, very difficult for you to control your children, especially the daughters. The right, the issues surrounding hijab and things like that, it's almost impossible to control your daughter. And then a Muslim decides he's going to migrate from a land where his daughter can wear hijab to a land where his daughter is not allowed to wear hijab. This hijra is not Islamic hijra. In fact, it's the opposite of the Islamic hijra. A Muslim must try to move his family if there is a possibility. I know it's difficult nowadays. You don't just go to any country you want to go to. But where there is a possibility, if you can go to a country... Where you can practice Islam better and your daughters are allowed to wear hijab, it's much better to go to such a place. So Rasulullah in this hadith gives hijrah as an example. The one who makes hijrah to Allah and his messenger. فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى then his hijrah is to Allah and His Messenger. What is the meaning of this? Why repeating the same things? He that makes hijrah to Allah and His Messenger has made hijrah to Allah and His Messenger. Is not sensible. Saying he that goes to town has gone to town. Is that, is that the way to speak? There's something hidden in the sentence. The one who makes hijrah to Allah and His Messenger in intention. فَهِجْرَتُهُ إِلَى اللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ Then his hijrah is to Allah and his messenger in reward. What's missing? In reward and in intention. In other words, if your intention is to migrate for the sake of Allah and for the sake of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, then you will get the reward of a person who migrates for the sake of Allah and migrates for the sake of the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa As for the one who migrates for the world. Businessman. The one who migrates for the world is called a what? Businessman. Or the one looking for a woman to marry. A person could migrate because he wants wants to make money. Or he could migrate because there is a woman to marry. They tell you in... Uh, I heard it those, those days, uh, that joke about Eritrea. They said in Eritrea uh, they've, they've now allowed... What, what was that? Uh, women? It became compulsory for, for men, although I don't know how accurate that was, but they said it was compulsory for men to marry... How many? Four wives. If you don't marry four, you'll be put in prison, and then someone migrates very quickly to go to uh, uh, Eritrea in order to, to, to marry... فهجرته إلى ما then his hijrah is to what he has migrated for. and look، wa rasulihi, the messenger of Allah repeats it. he says wa his hijrah is to Allah and his messenger. <laughs> he doesn't say Fahijaratuhu he says His Hijrah is to the things he has migrated for, because they're not important. They don't merit mentioning. They don't even deserve to be mentioned. um, In conclusion, firstly, Many scholars have started their books with this hadith. Many scholars that wrote books on Islam started their books with this hadith. Imam nawawi decided to open his book with this hadith. Imam Bukhari rahimahullah, opened his book with this hadith. And many other scholars started their books with this hadith. This is a reminder to the student before he embarks on the path of ilm, of knowledge, that the intention is going to be important. If you embark on the path of Arba'in al Nawawiya, the 40 hadiths of an Nawawi, your intention has to be right. To seek ilm for the sake of Allah and for the sake of the messenger sallallahu wasallam in order to be rewarded by Allah. Do not seek knowledge for any other purposes. Don't seek knowledge so that you can argue with people and look very knowledgeable and important. That's why he started with this hadith. It's a warning to every student of ilm. He didn't even create a muqaddimah, a preface. This hadith is enough as a muqaddimah To any work in Islam It's not just ilm But everything that we do The intention is important And everyone is going to be rewarded According to their intention And the intention is always supposed to be for Allah In order to be rewarded by Allah For any other reason Then there is no reward Secondly Intention Is found in the heart مَحَلُّهَا أَلْقَلْ To announce your niyyah is bid'ah. Niyah is supposed to be made in your heart. When you stand in order to pray Salatul Dhuhr or Salatul Asr or Salatul Maghrib, don't say, I stand uh, facing the Qibla to pray Salatul Maghrib, uh, three rakats for the sake of Allah, The Messenger didn't do that. Niyya is what you have in your heart. What do you think you are doing? If you know what you are doing, then that is your niyah. There is no need to say this is my intention and I intend to pray Salatul uh, Maghrib in Masjid Rasulullah. That is bid'ah. The only exception is Hajj and Umrah. When you go for Hajj or go for Umrah, the intention is supposed to be said out loud. There is Umrah, you say, Umrah. Or if it's Hajj, you say, Labbaikallahumma Hajjan. Or if it's a combination of Hajj and Umrah, you say, Hajjan wa Umrah. These must be said loudly in accordance with the Sunnah of the Messenger. And like I mentioned earlier, Rasulullah SAW said, Another thing I need to emphasize is that a lot of scholars have said this hadith was said by the Messenger <coughs> because of a man they called Muhajir Qais, a man who migrated from Mecca to Medina. Because he wanted to marry a woman that was called Umm Qais. When he wanted to marry her, she said, if you must marry me, then you should come over to Medina. So he migrated together with the Muslims, not for the sake of Allah and his messenger, but in order to go and marry that woman. Although this story may be true, the truth is that there is no evidence that shows that this hadith was revealed because of that. Rather that this hadith was said because of that. The Messenger وسلم, said this hadith and the man did what he did, but there is no connection. There is no connection in the hadith which shows that the hadith was said by the Messenger وسلم, referring to the muhajir Umm Qais.